So thank you. Also, speaking of going home with the Lord, I read on my Twitter this morning that Reinhard Bonnke died yesterday. One of the great evangelists of our generation. And uh, this guy led 79 million people to the Lord, mostly in Africa. I mean, you talk about a party in heaven? Come on. They're going crazy up there. And um, he had a final crusade in, in 2017. There were 1.7 million people in the, in the, in the crowd. The um, person that took over for him is named Daniel Kalinda. I got to know Daniel. I sat right next to him in June in Bogota, Colombia. And uh, he's, he's a young guy, full of energy, big guy, tall. And we're in the room with like 65 leaders from all over the world with uh, the Empower 21 group out of uh, Oral Roberts University. And um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about, of course, Reinhard Bonnke, and he's his protege, and uh, it was really a, kind of a neat time to, to be there. And by the way, that group, Empower 21, led by Billy Wilson, he's the president of Oral Roberts University. It's a, it's a global push for evangelism and the Holy Spirit, and basically to make the Holy Spirit uh, known and celebrated as much as we do on Christmas and Easter. And um, so they're doing a, 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 a trip to Israel, and uh, I'm going to be, I'm part of it. I'm part of the Global Council, and I'm leading, leading a group. If there's anyone here who would like to go with us, with my group, to Israel, um, it's a 10-day experience from uh, May the 30th through June the 8th of this 2020, and um, it's an upgrade experience. Uh, there'll be three days, International Conference on the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, the first three days, and then seven days of touring. So it's a 10-day package, and um, it. Uh, if you'd like to know more about it, talk to me. We've got people signing up, and it's going to be a really, really cool experience. If you've never been to Israel, if it's on your bucket list, this is the time to do it. Um, so, a little commercial there. All right, Adam, I'm going to read Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Can we get any more light up here? Old people need light. Uh. <clears throat> i got to take my glasses. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star, and it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophets wrote. Oh, 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star had first appeared, when he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them and dreamed not to return to Herod. God still speaks in dreams. Spoke to me in a dream to raise up an apostolic network right here in Columbus, Ohio. God does these things when they're needed. And um, it's pretty exciting to see what you begin to track the movement of God through history and in your own life. Um, you, and if you can live long enough, you, you can see these waves of the Lord, these waves of the Holy Spirit that come and preparing God's people for his return. Well, it seems like uh, every Christmas, somewhere on a church marquee, I see the words, wise men still seek him. You ever seen that on a church marquee? Tonight he remains the hope of the world. And um, I believe that one of the things that this story says to us is that from the earliest days of Christ, those who would worship him would be made up of Jews and Gentiles. And aren't you glad? Because we're all Gentiles. And uh, so it wouldn't be an exclusive thing when, when Jesus finally hit the uh, scene of history. He was going to bring in the whole group. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So in our story today, there are several nuances of truth that I guess a person could focus on concerning the star. I want to look at three of these and, and perhaps challenge us to meditate on this glorious story as we are moving closer into the Christmas uh, celebration. And so the first point I want to make is that the star, the, the star was a historical event. Um, it was, it disclosed something that really happened. Now, they had stargazers back then, and they had people who 
watched the heavens and they had people who um, re, you know, interpreted galactic uh, cosmic things that were going on in the cosmos. But they also tied it back to scripture. Because in the scripture, in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we have a complete record of God's dealings with men to bring, to bring mankind to salvation and wholeness. And that's what it's all about. There is no other book in the world like the Bible. It's been with us for generations, centuries. It is God's love letter, God's message to us. Thank God we have a Bible. And so in Numbers chapter 24, and the, uh, the reluctant uh, prophet seer Balaam said, I see him, but not now. I behold, I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. In this prophetic word that came out of his mouth, he was talking about, an eventual deliverer that was going to come out of Israel and deliver the people once and for all. In Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origin are from old, from ancient times. Now, just to show you how exact the Bible is, it says, out of you, Bethlehem Epaphrath. This located the exact Bethlehem, the exact region, because there were two Bethlehems in Israel. And so God had to zero in and pinpoint which one, Bethlehem, Epaphrath, out of you are going to come one to deliver the clans of Judah. Of course, all through the Old Testament, there was anticipation of such an event. And these and many other scriptures detail the birth of Christ with pinpoint accuracy. We compare this with what Jesus says of himself in the book of Revelation, and we too must be in anticipation of another great event, an event um, that we will see and experience in a day that is coming in our lives, if we live long enough, perhaps, or following our lives. But it says in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. And when they saw that star, I don't know, Adam, what it was exactly. It could have been, you know, it, it could have been a, a neutron star. It could have been some star that was in the process of burning out. This is what happens. They call them, they flame out. It could have been a a red giant or a white dwarf, a neutron star, something galactic, something happened in the cosmos that led them to believe that the former scriptures were coming together to point them toward the birth 
of a Messiah. And so they got up from where they were. These were not, uh, you know, is, these were not Israelis. They were Gentiles. And they came to seek him out. So I just want to say that star disclosed an event, something that really happened. Secondly, the star promised a marker. It, it, it provided something that they could, they could nail down and say, wait a minute, this is really happening. I tell, many times when I preach, I tell people, I've told it here, I said, why is it so hard for us to believe that God could be working in our day, in our time, in our life, like he worked back in their lives? Because at this time, they realized, hey, God's doing something. I want to tell you, God is doing something today. God is raising up people today in a great groundswell. And they are putting, they're putting, beside, they're putting aside, they're laying aside their little pet theological things, their denominational labels. And there's a great groundswell of unity of the Christian church. When we go to Jerusalem, we'll see it. From all different stripes, coming to worship the king. Because it's not about a denomination or a movement. It's about the kingdom of God in the earth. And I'm just glad to be a part of it in our day and our, in our time. So this became a celestial signpost for the wise men of the east. The star actually appeared to them before they left on their journey. The journey itself took some time, several months. Then the star appeared again as they got closer to the actual destination. So his star always meant to be a signpost for those who are searching for him. How about you? Are you searching for him? I am. I'm searching every day of my life. Where is he? What is he doing? Where is he showing up? What's he saying? Except now, Jesus is the star. Amen? He is the signpost of God's love in the world until he returns. And so no matter how the culture tries to seduce us into its little party, into its little Christmas party, the meaning of the season is God's inestimable love for the world by sending his only son to be our savior. Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? Amen? Linda and I have been watching these Hallmark movies. I don't know. Adam, you probably, it's, it's below you. I know you probably haven't. But she's gotten me watching these Hallmark movies. And they're good and they're clean. They're all rated G. And you know how they're all going to come out <laughs> from beginning to end. But these Christmas ones, you know, it's always, it kind of ends with some kind of little party on Christmas Eve. And they're either, they're in a town center lighting a Christmas tree or they're in a town dance where everybody is coming together. I turned to her the other night and I said, don't these people go to church on Christmas Eve? <laughs> it's just, you know, it's the culture. It's, it's, it's just what we have to negotiate in these days. But no matter how the culture tries to seduce us, we know because we have got God's inestimable love that's been shed abroad in our hearts, we've come to know the Savior. Christmas is Christ and nothing else. He's a marker for us. So, it's a historical event. It's a marker for our lives. And thirdly, 
Now we get to the core of this this morning. It's a star of hope. We want to talk about hope today. He gave hope to the world. Hope defined is this, to desire with expectation and fulfillment. I like that. To desire with expectation and fulfillment. Again, I saw on my Twitter account <laughs> this morning that uh, the, the little children in Cambodia in a room about this side filled from front to back with these wonderful little children. They all had a little box, a Christmas um, Operation Christmas Child box, which we participated in. Our box is over there somewhere, and, it's one, and those little children are opening it, and you could just see on their faces. And they were so excited to get this little shoe box, this hope, this anticipation in their eyes. They, weren't, they, they believed there was something in that box, and there was. Wonderful little things for them, which we got to participate. What a great, great concept. Proverbs uh, says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing is a tree of life. To have hope is to have a future, even if it contains such things as tribulation, suffering, and death. To have hope is to have a future. Man cannot live without hope. So, there are three kinds, I think, orientation, three kinds of people who are on this grid of hope. And I think there are those, first of all, who have no hope. And it's a sad thing. They have no real faith context. They get up, they go to work every day, they come home, but they don't really have any faith orientation in their life. There are many people like that today. They just navigate on their own strength, you know, trying to be smart enough to get through life on their own steam. They're like the ones the Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 when he said, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. He's speaking to the Gentiles, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. What a place to be. I bet we rub up against people every day somewhere in our daily schedule that are without hope and without God in the world. Holy Spirit, make us sensitive and to be able to turn to these people. Maybe a complete stranger. Just take their hand. Say, you know, God loves you. This is the season of hope. Could transform someone's life. So, I believe with, you know, to be in the world without hope would be, would be really a dreadful situation. Then there are those who have False hope. They're trusting in something other than Christ for their future, for their fulfillment, for their, for their expectancy, their life. It's usually some kind of material possession, you know? Like in Job, 
Job 31.24 says, If I had made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence, this also would be an iniquity, for I would have denied God who is above. Material things are nice, and we need some material things. God knows it. Tells us about in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. I'll provide just like I do with the birds. Birds of the air. They're free, but I provide for them. I'll provide for you. But when it becomes your focus, your all in all, your goal, you're going off the rails, man. You got to come back. Some people are like that. They're just trusting in material possessions, but I'm telling you, no matter what material possession you had, if you had a, if you had that new Maserati or that new, uh, what was that one that, the the new one that just came out, not Maserati, but um, this thing goes 230 mile an hour. It's, it's a street car. It would get old after a while. You'd probably get killed in it. So. Then there are people who trust in themselves. Jeremiah 17.5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Wow. I'm not trusting myself, man, because I'm a mess without God. Sometimes a mess with him. But. Then there are those who trust in righteousness. Ezekiel 33.13, When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. Now, you know, the Pharisees in the New Testament read this verse. They knew this, and yet that's exactly where they were. They were trusting in their religion, their righteousness, their right standing supposedly before God, and everybody else was kind of below them. I mean, you can, this, this spirit is so strong, you can see it in every denomination, every ecclesiastical structure. They have people who are in this vein. Somehow they, they get into the, the cog and the machinery of the whole thing. Don't ask me how, but they do. And then you have people who trust in death itself. Job 11.20 says, But the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way of escape will be lost to them, and their hope is to breathe their last. Some people just want to just wanna get it over with. And, um, and many people on drugs who are just, it's a slow process of getting it over with. You know, they're just numb to this world. They just want to get it over with, but they don't want to quite take it all the way yet. And, uh, Wow. Everything in this world is going to burn or go up in smoke and turn to dust. Nothing shall remain. When we, when we buried uh, our beloved sister Pauline Trimmer yesterday at the graveside, we quoted the phrase, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Isn't it interesting? We came from the dust and we returned to dust. So what are we going to do in between times of the dust? Yeah, God's got an assignment for us, for each one of us. I want us to think on these things. We may be rich in material things, but is our hope in stuff 
or is it in God? Now, finally, finally, there are those who have true hope. Amen? Let's see this one. They have not manufactured it or assumed it from a failed philosophy. They have received it from the teaching of the Bible. Wow. Aren't you glad we have the B-I-B-L-E? This is the word of God, man. And it's not going anywhere. So these people who have true hope, their hope, their hope is built in the word and the action of God. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.1, Christ our hope. He writes in Colossians 1.27, and Christ in you, the hope of glory. I had a license plate on my car for several years, and it was initial reserve plate. You had to pay extra for it. But it said, I see hope. I see hope. Until I ran into a deer at 70 mile an hour <laughs> on Interstate 70. And then I didn't see hope anymore. <laughs> I totaled the car and the license plate went with it. But at any rate, I tried. In his letter to Titus, he refers to the return of the Lord as our blessed hope. I like that. I told him yesterday, there's a song on the album that the Trinity Choir did when they won the State Fair contest, Choir Contest back in the 1980s. They got to make an album, and one of those songs is called The Blessed Hope. It is so cool. I want that, I want that played and sung at my funeral. It's from, uh, actually, from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, but it's a great thing. The writer to the Hebrews assures us that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Everything comes down to Jesus, friends. He is the, the defining line of history. If we get it right with Jesus, we get the whole thing right. Amen? It gets leveled out. Let's get it right with Jesus. And then just quickly, these, these bullet points about hope. It tells us in uh, 2 Thessalonians 6 that hope is good. 1 Peter 1, that hope is called lively. Psalm, or Proverbs 10, the hope is gladdening. It gladdens the heart. Titus 2, that hope is blessed. Romans 5, that hope does not disappoint us. Hallelujah. And then it goes on. In Romans 4, that hope triumphs over difficulties. Psalm 37, it's found in the mercy of God. Galatians 5, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't manufacture it. We can't bring it up. It comes to us. And in Romans chapter 5, it's the result of our experience with God. And, and much more. How precious is this hope when we say the final goodbye like we did yesterday. Her casket was right here in front of the, the platform. When we say that final goodbye, how precious is it that we never really say a final goodbye? Christians never say goodbye for the last time. Amen? It's a cool, it's a cool thought. And in this instance, Paul says that we do not grieve like those rest of men who have no hope. We believe that God, Jesus died and rose again. 
So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Pauline just, she just fell asleep. I hear that she just, right before she expired, she just raised her arms up and received the Lord. Wow. Charles Swindoll, one of the big writers in the last 30, 40 years, makes this statement. I really like this statement. He said, I don't know if this is on the screen or not. Yeah, it is. What the heart is to your physical body, what oxygen is to your lungs, what morale is to a unit of fighting men, what spirit is to a ball team, hope is to the church. Wow. Remove it, and you have rendered the place of worship a morgue with a steeple. This ain't no morgue, Adam. This ain't no morgue. There's life in this. There's life in this building. There's, there's life here. Always has been. Zechariah 9.12 says that all those who look forward to the redeeming work of the Messiah are prisoners of hope. Let's become prisoners of hope this Christmas. Let's look at that bright morning star in, in Revelation 22.16. That bright, the bright morning star was Venus back in the time, and it still comes up. It's very bright early in the morning. But it's a, it's a symbol of the brightness of God shining out for us. One of the songs that R.H. McDaniel wrote says, I'm possessed of a hope that is steadfast and sure since Jesus came into my heart. I remember singing that back in the old, old church, back in the 1970s. Man, we get those little paperback songbooks out. We'd sing that song. Since Jesus came into my heart. We sing in confidence with Edward Mote for life beyond the grave when we sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And finally, a last thought for those whose star is Christ. When Christ lives in you, then your future is tied to what happens to God, not what happens to you. And I got news, friend. There ain't nothing going to happen to God because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It, it's, uh, and this universe that he's created, the, when you go out into interstellar space, Adam, there's just there's billions and billions of galaxies we're in the Milky Way galaxy. It takes 100 million light years just to go across the Milky Way galaxy. 100 million light years. And there's, I, you just can't even, you can't wrap your mind around it. It's too big. And yet God holds it in the palm of his hand. That's the God I have hope in. That's the God I hope you have hope in today. Let's pray. Hallelujah. We bless your name today, Father God. We praise and worship you.
give you glory and honor. There's none like you, Lord. There's none like you. You're the one. Father, we just come to you right now, Lord God. What a privilege it is to stand up here and preach a part of this series, Lord. Last week was faith. Today's hope. Hallelujah. God, you are the hope of the world. Christmas, every year, the whole, the whole world lights up, Lord. Many of them don't even know why they're doing it or what they're doing. But the whole world comes to a grinding halt on December 25th. The stores have all been emptied of their gifts. And the people are all waiting for something, doing something, acknowledging something's happened. Well, Lord, we know what that something is. Hallelujah. It's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I just want to extend the opportunity. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, we have prayer teams up here on either side of the sanctuary. And as we make this closing song and worship the Lord, you come up and you pray. These people will pray with you. Or if you have another need today, maybe you're already a Christian, but you're facing something that is pretty big in your life, and you need hope. You you need that deposit that only God can put in there. You come up for prayer, and we'll pray for you, and God will meet your need. I promise in Jesus' name. Amen.